It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. We'll look at some sports topics of local interest. We've got a gambling segment. We've got a segment where you can ask me a question on anything. But this is a lot of football. We'll get into a lot more basketball next week. It's been such a herky-jerky season, Rick, where I swear I look up and I think a game's supposed to be being played and all of a sudden I look up and that game is is canceled. We're getting a few more games in on a regular basis, but still, it's been crazy. Well, even for me, a guy who is college basketball all the time, it just hasn't been the same this year, partially due to the fact that you had the UC football run, you have the Bengals playing so well. This is more football interest are focused than we typically are by this time of the year. Normally everything's already winded down a month or two ago and we can really start diving into the basketball earlier this year. That just hasn't been the case. And when you factor in the COVID stoppages for some of the local teams, and it really has made it a difficult basketball season to really find things to talk about and topics to carry a show like this. It is crazy. The suit, when the Super Bowl comes to a conclusion on February 13th, we'll be about three weeks away from conference tournaments being played. I mean, that, that's how long this NFL season will wind up going. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that the Bengals are still relevant in it is the right, big difference right. for us, obviously, right. because normally, you know, if they if, <laughs> if you're under 500, then those last few weeks of the season, you're already done talking about the team pretty much. And you're not ready to start doing draft content quite yet. So, no, that's right. That's right. All right, well, let's jump right into it, and we'll start with some Bengals talk. As the four seed in the AFC, the Bengals will host the fifth seed at the Las Vegas Raiders in the first round of the NFL playoffs after the Raiders beat the Chargers in overtime Sunday night, which was pretty hilarious to go back and listen to our Bengals postgame podcast <laughs> where we're confidently talking about the Raiders winning that game as, as the fourth quarter is about midway through. And uh, obviously, you know what happened after that is the game. Never a sweat. Haywire Never and got into overtime. But we were right all along. We always knew it was going to happen. But That's uh, right. Skinny, I'll, I'll approach this from a straightforward perspective. I'm going to give you some keys to the game. And I just want you to rank them in order of most important to least important for the Bengals. And we can kind of talk about them as we go. So here are the keys. Get Mixon going again and run the football successfully. Stop Josh Jacobs in the Raiders rushing attack. Protect Joe Burrow against the Raiders pass rush. Slow down Darren Waller in the Raiders passing game. And hit Jamar Chase for the big play. Yeah, I'm going to go the Jamar Chase big play is going to be least because I think it's going to be hard to do that based on the way the Raiders play defense. Um, I'll put the Darren Waller one as the second least because they really didn't stop him the last time. He had seven catches for 116, and the Raiders offense still didn't do anything. Um, In that game, wide receivers had only four receptions. Everything else went to either tight ends or running backs. And and some of that's by design, but some of that was was what the Bengals did and maybe didn't do to Waller. But again, they they didn't cover him the last time, and and they didn't lose. Um, I'm going backwards doing these off the top of my head. The protect Joe Burrow, I'll put that one next on the on the least biggest key for me because, um, you know, they've done a pretty good job, but they haven't been clean all year. They've given up 51 sacks, and I know Joe was asked that question yesterday on when we had the media availability with him, and, uh, you know, the, the whole thing's been, you know, sacks are different. Uh, they come at different times. Sometimes it's okay to take a sack. Sometimes the sack's on me, all that stuff. So I'm going to put that as the third least. That brings us, what, to Josh Jacobs and to Joe Mixon, correct? Mixon, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go Mixon number two just because, again, the way that defense is structured, you get light boxes, 
And if the team's going to give you a light box, you have to be able to run the football into it. And, and, and I suspect that's what we'll see again. And that was kind of the formula the last time. Now you could argue the Raiders will change things around, but they really don't. Gus Bradley does a few different things, but he, he wants to give up. He wants to, to, to take away the big play and he wants to be able to rush for, and he wants to be able to, to, to tackle in a light box and, and stop a run game that way. So I think that's next. And then to me, it's Josh Jacobs because he didn't get off in the last game at all. And of late, when the Raiders have started to win games, he has become a, a bit of a force. He's, he's much healthier than he was in Week 10. And if, if Josh Jacobs gets going, I think it makes the, the, the play-action pass for Derek Carr and the tight end even more valuable of an asset. So to me, the biggest part for me would be to stop Josh Jacobs. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think you're probably right about that because if the Raiders can't get Josh Jacobs going and they're playing behind the sticks, I think Derek Carr is underrated as a quarterback, but I, I just too. don't I just don't think their attack overall is enough to really overcome that type of of game situation and and if they're they're chasing the whole game like that. So, if they're able to like you said the last few weeks when they've been able to run the ball effectively and and get third and shorts and keep the chains moving, it's a different story and I think Derek Carr can and can put up some points on you and I think this offense is good enough to to play with a team like the Bengals and and you saw that last week against the Chargers so I think that's right some of the other keys that I threw out there are certainly dependent on when they happen you you mentioned the sack situation Joe Burrow's exactly right like it's all dependent on when those sacks come and what happens as a result of them, right? Like, do they force turnovers? Well, then it's a bigger deal. Do they come um, in the red zone when the Bengals are trying to score and takes takes points off the boards? Well, then it can be a bigger deal. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely depends on when they happen. And to a certain extent, that's the same thing with the Jamar Chase big play situation, right? I mean, does it lead to points? Does it come when you need it? Does it, does it come late in the game, early in the game? All those types of things can be kind of dependent on how important those situations are. But I think you're right about the Josh Jacobs things. From a holistic standpoint, that's probably the number one thing that if you can say, we checked that box, it gives you the cleanest path to a win. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, losing Henry Ruggs, I, I, I thought was a big loss for the wide receiving core just because he was the downfield threat. I mean, Hunter Renfro's a nice receiver. He's 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 good, um, but he's not great. Uh, you know, Zay Jones is is kind of journeymanish. Brian Edwards, their receivers don't do much for me. Um, a lot of their pass game is dependent on on Darren Waller, and a lot of their pass game is dependent on you know, not having to, to throw it 45, 50 times, uh, having to throw it on third and 11s and third and nines and third and sevens. It's throwing it on third and twos, third and threes when you can mix up run and pass. So yeah, I, I think to me, you, you limit Josh Jacobs and the Bengals have been really good against the run for the most part, um, all season long, uh, that I, I think they will do that. And I think that will be the key to the victory. Skinny looking at some of these other matchups in the AFC, do you think there's much of a chance of an upset in any of the other AFC games? I mean, I, I, I don't. It's funny on first blush, Rick. When I looked at all six of the playoff games this week, I, I, I instantaneously, even, even when I looked at the line, I liked all six favorites. And, and I know that's not feasible. That's not going to happen. So you got to probably take a little deeper dive into it and maybe take a, a risk. But I mean, if New England won at Buffalo, is that really a big upset? And I don't think they're going to. I think, but I think New England. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I think they've just kind of petered out. They had, a, you know, they they were 
finding ways to win with Mac Jones. I, there was a story in, in a, I can't remember where the outlet was in Boston about if Mac Jones struggles again, should they pull him for Brian Hoyer on Saturday? <laughs> I mean, really? Okay, sure. Is that where you're at with this? Um, and I think Buffalo's kind of got their, their, their act together. So I, I don't, I don't see an upset there. Um, I don't certainly see Pittsburgh at all beating Kansas city. In fact, I think that could be the biggest margin of the weekend. And um, I don't see the Raiders coming here and beating the Bengals. So, uh, and the funny part is, again, when I started looking at all this, this Bengals number is big at six and a half, but is it really? I mean, is it? I, I, you know, we'll talk about this in our gambling segment, but yeah, to, to answer your question, I, I, I honestly don't. I, I think it's going to come to fruition. I think you're going to see the Bengals go to Tennessee. And I think you're going to see Buffalo go to Kansas City next week. Well, and that's where it really gets interesting because when you look at what the best path is for the Bengals to get to a Super Bowl, you want them to go to Tennessee, do you not? That's right. That's I mean, correct. you really don't want any upsets in the other two games because no, that's right. you'll reseed in the second round and it'll mean the Bengals will head to Kansas City. And that is certainly less than ideal, I think. Yeah, I'd rather have that that swing at it if it's the AFC Championship game. You know, that what, what a step that would be. If you lost that game, you go, hey, what a step we took. We, we got to the AFC title game, and unfortunately we lost to a team that's been the perennial Super Bowl team out of the AFC on their field, and you know maybe it's a close game, whatever, and, and all that. And then you go, well, what a step forward. I mean, this is a step forward, what they've done already, but that would be a monumental step forward. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think they have a really good chance to go to Tennessee and winning. Um, I, I've said this. I've said this since they lost to Kansas City. I, I think when all is said and done, if, if Kansas City is the host team, um, for the AFC championship game. I, I think they're the Super Bowl representative again. I think they are the best team in the AFC. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that would agree with you there. What game are you most excited to see in the first round, either conference? Um, probably San Francisco, Dallas, or Buffalo, New England. I'll go San Francisco, Dallas. It's just intriguing that there's a lot of people that believe Frisco goes there and wins because they're able to run the football. Um, they showed a lot of grit and guts to come back and, and beat the Rams to get in. Um, you know, think think about this. You somehow have the Saints in the playoffs at the moment, which doesn't sound right. Frisco looks like a playoff team. Um, Saint the Saints didn't, and to their credit, they battled their way to almost being a playoff team. But that to me is the most intriguing because there's a lot of pressure in Dallas, right? Um, this this is a a, a really good roster. It's healthy. Dak's healthy. The receiving core is healthy. Zeke's been playing a little banged up, but still, this is a pretty healthy roster, and it's a talented roster, and they're playing at home. And Frisco's the one team that you go, boy, if they can run the ball on them, ugh, look out, Dallas. Uh, that, to me, is the, the most intriguing for me. The worst game to me is Tampa Bay, Philadelphia. Now, a lot of people would probably say Kansas City, Pittsburgh, but I think there's something about that Pittsburgh game, and maybe it's just because we're Cincinnati people. But for me, that Pittsburgh game and Ben Roethlisberger, it being his last shot, there's just this slight little bit of intrigue there in that game. The Philly-Tampa Bay game really doesn't do no. anything for me at all. Agreed. Agreed. The, the rest of the games, I think, are really pretty damn good for first-round matchups. I like the San Fran-Dallas matchup like you talked about. but Rams-Arizona is a good one. Yeah, yeah good the Cardinals-Rams game. I mean, you look at that series between the two teams. The Cardinals smacked them the first time they played. Rams won the second matchup, obviously. But I think that's going to be a tremendous first-round matchup. And Patriots-Bills is really interesting, too. And, and obviously what they've done this year. So... And the, you look at the second round, the NFC is just a bear this year. Like yeah, the second yes. round matchups in the NFC are going to be ridiculously good. Yeah. The, the, the Cardinals Rams one is intriguing because obviously they're from the same conference. And as you mentioned, they, they, they split. Um, but boy, down the stretch was the, the Cardinals were horrible. They went one and four down the stretch. Their only win was somehow at Dallas. 
but um, you know, maybe it's the whole all right, fresh fresh start to the postseason. Forget about what we did in the last five, going one and four, and they go to L.A. and win. So yeah, there's I, I think the intrigue is 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 for me more in the in the NFC. You're right about the Roethlisberger one. I just I just don't think they can stand toe to toe. Maybe the maybe the Steelers defense can 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 keep them in the game, but I mean, if Pat Mahomes is on and and that offense is clicking. I'm sorry that that Pittsburgh offense can't put up more than 20 points on anybody. To be honest with you, I'm I'm with you. Like I I don't think that game should be close at all. But to me, that there's just a little more intrigue in watching it than there is the Philadelphia sure. Tampa. Well, I mean, t- Philly and, to me and, stinks. I don't really no, even no, understand right. how they ended up in this situation. Well, but but back to your intrigue thing, and that's why that game's a primetime game, right? I mean, I mean, they realize hey, it's it's Ben. It's probably his last game. Um, and it's the Chiefs that, um, you know, ha- have a national brand now. So, yeah, that's why that game's a primetime game. There's great intrigue there. Yeah, everyone wants to see the Chiefs almost regardless of who they're playing, it seems like. So they're going to continue to get those primetime games almost no matter what. But, yeah, I mean, with the, the storyline adds up for the media, too, and, and the Big Ben stuff. So, yes, it, that yes. helps out as well. All right, anything else on first round of the playoffs, Bengals stuff? I mean, pretty good news in terms of health, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's the good part is is and that, that was the whole process of sitting the, the starters. I'll ask you this, Rick, because we've asked players and coaches this, and I think their answers to this have been good. You know, the narrative is obviously the the, the 31 years without a playoff win, right, for the Bengals, and, and that's the storyline. No matter how you want to slice it, no matter how much the Bengals want to whine about it to us when I write stories about that, um, they get a little they get a little sensitive about having three decades of misery. Um, but it has been, and it is a storyline. But I think the answers that the coaches, that Zach Taylor, well, even the, the assistant coaches we've talked to, and the players has been literally, they don't know this stuff. They hear it. They know it's a narrative, but... It really doesn't affect them. Um, you know, you only have a couple of guys on this roster that were around for for some of those playoff losses. And really, that's Kevin Huber and Clark Harris. Most everybody else um, is new since they've even, you know, been to the playoffs the last time. So I do think it is a storyline for sure. It can't be ignored, even though the Bengals would like us to ignore it. Um, and yes, I'm taking a dig at you Bengals people who listen and read. Um you know, it is a storyline, but for the players and coaches, I think you you acknowledge it because you hear it, but at the same time, it really doesn't affect you. You, you haven't been a part of this. First of all, it's lame for organizations to get upset about media talking about things like that. Yes. That's who you yes. are. It's part of your story. And by the way, you're going to use it and you're going to put out all types of hype videos, bringing that storyline up and talking about how you overcame that obstacle and that hurdle and, and overplaying the heck out of it when you do finally overcome it. So it, you can't have it both ways. I mean, if you're going to use it on your side, when you overcome it, you can't get mad about people for bringing it up until you do finally achieve that. So uh, it, it doesn't bother me at all when people bring it up. It's definitely a storyline. At the same time, I would agree with Zach Taylor and the way his team has approached it. It really doesn't matter to them at all. I don't think that you're carrying any, it, it makes about the same amount of sense as people telling UC and Luke Fickle that they were carrying around all the baggage of the other right, non-Power right. 5 schools. Like, what did they care about UCF now, four now, years ago? You know, like... Yeah, and I, I will tell you, I think Marvin Lewis carried that baggage. I think the Andy Dalton, A.J. But, Green, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins guys carried that baggage because it just kept adding up and adding up and adding up. But these guys, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't add up to them. Yeah, but I, I, we talked about this on our Sunday night podcast. 
I think that's a different thing, though. We're, that is their own baggage. They yes, were no, no, I right. That's right. I don't no, no, think that's my it, point. it affected them early on in their careers when they first got to the the no, playoffs. No, it, it affected no, but them but once 13, they kept 14, 15. Yes, right. Once when they you, kept getting there, mm-hmm, yeah. when they couldn't overcome it, and it was some of the same guys, and you know, like especially like they had that weird thing where they kept playing the Texans, and that defense just would absolutely wreck them. It seemed like that, that things like that added up for them. And when it's your own baggage and it's recent history and your group can't seem to win in the playoffs, then yeah, I think there can be some added pressure there, but for the Bengals, the current Bengals and Joe Burrow and these guys hearing about a curse that's lasted 30 plus years, I, I don't think that adds anything to them in terms of extra pressure or anything like that. No, and, and Paul Doherty asked uh, Joe a question yesterday in which he said, I talked to a former NFL head coach. He said head coach. I don't know if he said NFL head coach, but talk, talk to a former head coach who said Joe Burrow is not going to let them lose that game. And he asked Joe to react to that. Um, I, that, that, that was really interesting to me. And, and I think that tells you what the narrative about Joe Burrow as a winner is too, right? That This is the guy that, that's, that's going to win games like this. And I think for him, um, I'm, I'm writing a piece here in the next couple of days of where to place him in the tier of, of NFL quarterbacks and, and where he ranks, and he's going to end up ranking really high. But now comes really kind of that 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 next and I don't want to call it a final frontier, but that next frontier for great quarterbacks, right? That is, you're measured by what you do in the playoffs. I mean, Lamar Jackson's a great quarterback, but right now we have the trepidation of calling him elite because why he can't win a playoff game so i think for joe burrow this is this is this is this is what he is he got a team to the playoffs way quicker than anybody could have ever thought and now here they are with more than a puncher's chance to advance and who knows how far they can advance because of uh you know the afc and 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 what it is this year and i think he is that guy that changes the narrative for all of this i think that's right and it's definitely about what you do in the playoffs when you're talking about a quarterback's legacy and who they are and all of that stuff at the same time, it's too early to be judging Joe Burrow. The fact that he got this Bengals team to this point already, he's way ahead of schedule. And right, he doesn't but, but, need to win right away. But you're right. No, no, that's agreed. how the narrative starts. I mean, if, if right, they lose right. this game, then the next one becomes, okay, what are you, what's he going to do now with this opportunity? So that's um, right. it's, it's really unfair to even be judging him. But if he does find a way to win already, then... I mean, you're, he's he's an elite quarterback and he's probably already won. He should probably already be in that tier. But if he leads the Bengals to a playoff win, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I agree. No, no question. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair to judge him yet on that either. But but that is still that's the next frontier you cross is, is whether or not you're elite. And, and this is the guy that I I think he he does do that. I think he at least leads them to a win in this game. And then we'll address the, the, the next game when it comes. I, I think I agree with that coach. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to let him lose this game. I don't. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he's been playing as well as any, you, you know, you can talk about the bigger picture and maybe it's a more interesting conversation about where he stacks up. But if we're talking about the last three weeks of the NFL season, who were the best quarterbacks in the NFL? If you don't think Joe Burrow is a top three guy on that list, you're crazy. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to do, and I, I can't do this in, in the piece. I was thinking about it. I may find a way to try it. You know, when, when we get to NCAA selection time and start talking bubble teams and you put up Team A's resume, Team B's resume, Team C's resume without yeah. the names. Yeah. Um, and then you, you reveal it and you go, oh, that's really them. And, ooh, that's really them. I'd like to do that if I can with with the Aaron Rodgers numbers and the Joe Burrow numbers. The problem is most fans know those, those numbers off the top of their head, right? The, yeah, and, the and fantasy guys probably, will tell you right yeah. away. Yeah, so it's it's hard to do, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I bet you if you did resume. that and you and you and you blind resume them, you'd go, 
Whoa, Joe Burrow's really there in all those categories over those guys? Huh. Yeah, it's it's stunning to look at the statistics, but not even just that. You watch it with the eye test, and it adds up, right. too. You know, it's That's not right. like he's just putting up numbers that aren't mattering or anything. I mean, he's playing at such an extraordinary level. And as a Bengals fan, all you can hope is that it continues into the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I even asked, I asked Brian Kelly earlier this week about um, what he took away from Joe's performance against the Raiders the first time, and it was about understanding not taking chances in a game like that and just being sure you to make sure you move the sticks and not worrying about numbers. And I think that also is the evolution of a quarterback. There are games you, you don't, you don't have to throw for 400 yards to win. Just go manage the sticks, manage the game, manage the clock, manage the situation. Your defense is playing well. Don't put them in peril. And then there's also games like the Chiefs where you got to go sling it around a little bit. And he he's proven he can do both and do both very, very well. You brought up Brian Callahan, so I want to ask you about him. It just came out that the Broncos had asked for permission yep. to talk to him about their open head coach job. And I don't think he's going to get that job. I don't, but, e- I don't either. But it's, it is interesting, and, and maybe this is – it's definitely unfair to say it like this, but I guess from my perspective, when you're the offensive coordinator of a team and you don't call the plays and especially a a team like the Bengals, where it's pretty fledgling. And this is the first year that you would have shown any type of promise that people would be interested in you for, I guess, sell me on Brian Callahan. Why, why is he a guy that a team would be interviewing for a head coaching job right now? Well, he's still a big part of the offensive game plan. He still is a part of, of discussing play selections on a Sunday. Um, Let's not forget. And and I was critical of it because, and I still, I still, I still am not going to walk this back. I'm going to give Zach Taylor credit for evolving as a head coach, but I, but I wrote the piece when he got hired that, you know, did he maybe take a step too quickly that, that, you know, the guy wasn't even an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And for a couple of years, it did look like the disaster it was going to be. And obviously to the credit of all involved, the people who saw through that and, and Zach Taylor, he's taking this team to the playoffs in, in year three. So I, I think for Callahan, you can argue that, but again, he's, he's actually in a, in a, a more prominent role than Zach Taylor was in um, as a head coach. He's been a part of the development of, of Joe That's Burrow. True. Joe Burrow's also been a big part of Joe Burrow's development. Let's not kid ourselves. There's still the the talent and the intelligence and all those things that wasn't like they took a raw piece of clay and said, let's build us a Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was pretty ready-made to, to play. And to their credit, I don't think they tried to tinker with him too much either. I think they've kind of just said, we got an elite guy here in many ways, and we're not going to mess this up. And sometimes check your ego at the door, and, and I think they've done a lot of that too. I, yeah, I don't think, in fact, I, I just put up a story, Rick, um, uh, there, there's a handful of coaches coaching openings and some guys with local ties have odds from betonline.ag associated with it. Callahan, I think is the 11th longest odds to, to be the Broncos coach at 18 to one Marvin Lewis, believe it or not, is on the list of the Jaguars odds and Ryan Day is on the list of the bears odds, but yeah, I don't think he's going to get it. He was an assistant there from 2010 to 15, you know, his dad, there's a lineage there with his dad being a, a, a former NFL head coach. I think some of it is just, um, you know, he's, he he was well liked in Denver. Um, there's a lot of people there that that are still there um, in charge and, and in part of football operations that were uh, there when he was a coach from 2010 to 15. So they know him. And I think it's more of a let's just kick the tires on this to make sure we're not missing something because maybe this guy is head coach material. I think that's all it is. I think for him, it's just a chance to get some experience interviewing for a head coaching position as well. I I, I don't foresee him getting the job. I'm not. I'm not knocking it. If he does, if he does, good for you. Good luck to you. I I don't see it. Um, I, I think this is just more kind of a cursory kick of the tires for Denver and a chance for him to to, to go through the interview process. Yeah, that's and that's cool for him. And I'm always of the opinion yeah. that you want your guys to be getting interviews Absolutely. and you want your guys to be wanted by other teams. So 
this is a good sign for Zach Taylor. And I think the strongest point that you made there in terms of selling Brian Callahan, if, if you were going to hire him is the Joe Burrow factor. I mean, he's one of the guys working closest with Joe Burrow and you haven't screwed that up at the very least. You know, I mean, a lot of it is Joe Burrow. I think that's pretty obvious and he's a special talent, but if nothing else, you have been able to keep that thing rolling in the right direction, despite what could have been a disaster after the early knee injury and with this offensive line and uh, everything that was working with the the losses mounting, they've uh, they've done a good job with Joe Burrow and getting this thing on track. So I could see that side of it being enticing, but I was a little surprised just because you don't hear a lot about Brian Callahan and haven't to this point. And with Zach Taylor calling the plays, I think that certainly overshadows the offensive coordinator a little bit in terms of if I was looking for my next head coach, I would think, but uh, his connections to the Broncos, that makes some more sense too. And by the way, before we move on to topics, uh, if you're listening, Bengals dude, and I know, you know, I, you know, I know who you are. Um, if you're listening, just, just be sure you call my boss above my boss and tell him I spoke glowingly of your team. Okay. Is that okay? You can unpucker your butt now. There you go. <laughs> Have a good day. Oh man. All right. Let's get into some college football talk. Now, Georgia, is the new top dog in college football after taking down Alabama 33-18 in Monday night's national championship game. The score was just 13-9 before a flurry of scoring in the fourth quarter, Skinny. So from an entertainment perspective, what grade would you give Monday night's national championship game? Uh, from an entertainment perspective, I'll give it a C plus, I guess. Um, I'm going to be first to tell you, Rick, I, I had a long day coming off of a long Sunday. Uh, I poured a cocktail when I got home, which was about halftime of the game, and I made it to about the end of the third quarter and didn't see the end and woke up and, and saw the final score. So I'm not going to. So I guess from an entertainment perspective, it did enough to put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually think it was a little bit better than that. I would probably go in the B's somewhere, maybe. just. Well, like I think B. I think, yeah, the drama of the score. I mean, and obviously that, that last interception return kind of made it really wonky score wise. Yeah, the drama of the score. The drama of of you know Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban, the two SEC schools, and and all the quality dudes on the field. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I'm just gonna just again from personal perspective, it it put me to sleep. Maybe I put myself to sleep too. I don't I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, that that might have been part of your schedule and also yeah. uh, what you were consuming at the time. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we've had some games that aren't very fun at all. The Last few really haven't been very entertaining games in terms of no, being right. close That's or fair. or dramatic. And this one was dramatic up until really what the final seven minutes, five minutes, whatever it was when he finally made that inter- interception and ran it back to, to pretty much put it on ice. But Yes, there wasn't much scoring going on, and it'd be nice for there to and, be and, some and bigger plays in the first that half. That doesn't usually, but that usually doesn't bother me. I don't mind. I li- in fact, I like watching good defense. I do. Well, especially when it's that many high level dudes. I mean, right. you're just watching a bunch of NFL prospects fly around, and you go, "Yep, that's the difference. That's what I mean, makes I thought, these guys I, the best in the country, and the the fourth and fifth ranked teams really are that far behind them." Yes, they are. No, I think that, that was proven out, too. I thought the one sack in the first half by the goal line when Alabama hit a big pass play was knocking on the door for a touchdown. They were third down at about the eight. This is about the time I got home, one of the first plays I probably saw. And, and Bryce Young went back, and I can't remember the Georgia guy. His number was 41. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon. And he's got Bryce Young with all this space. And Bryce Young's a good athlete, right? He could have gone left and right. He could have ducked and dodged. This guy 
came with 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 such speed that you thought he's going to run right by him. He's just going to plant the brakes and the guy's going to go flying right by. Um, he's going to spin out of this, and he didn't. And I mean, it was it was such a it was, it was one of those mind numbing, eye popping things where you're like. Wow, was that athletic? Um, and, and I think that that was kind of a microcosm of those two teams, to be honest with you. Yeah, there are several plays like that where you see defensive tackles that are, you know, running to the sideline to chase down a running back. You see edge rushers going out to make a play on a screen pass. You see safeties that are 220 pounds flying in and making open field tackles and and closing gaps from outside the opposite hash and flying to the ball because they're diagnosing a play at the immediate blink of the snap. I mean, it was incredible defense and that's not always the most fun to watch. Like I'll admit, I'd like to see more than just some field goals score for the entire first half, but at least you felt that tension of the game is close and any little mistake is going to blow this thing open potentially. So I thought it was okay in that regard. It wasn't great. It wasn't an instant classic, but it was enough to keep me watching until the final minutes and, and the completion of the game. I thought the the thing that was a little disappointing was that it felt like both teams were playing not to lose. They were so conservative on the offensive yeah. side and they didn't want to make the mistake that was going to give the other team the chance to, to open things up. It would have been nice to see a few more. Maybe I don't know that you have to go like trick plays or get cute in a situation like that necessarily, but I think just taking some more creative shots in this game and to, and then you get late in the game and you've got Bill O'Brien just chucking four streaks down the field every time for Bryce Young and giving him no opportunity at all to make a comeback. That was, I was not impressed with Bill O'Brien in this game. I will say that. Who is the favorite, by the way, to become the next head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars at odds of three to two. I tell you what, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm looking at that like you got to be kidding me. First, you give me the the clown show that we just had, and now I'm going to get this guy who in the national championship game would would have been embarrassed by my former coach, Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, I, I think twofold to your to your point. I, I think Georgia Georgia is not dynamic offensively. They're good, and Stetson Bennett's a nice little guy, and I'm happy for him. It's a great story, but really, they, they, when you have a defense that elite, and I know everybody questioned it after that that Alabama SEC championship game. I, I think just that day, you had Bryce Young just dialed in, and he had his guys. You know, don't forget, Jamison Williams got hurt in this game, and there was John Mechie not around, and suddenly you, you're down two elite level receivers and yeah you can argue that hey it's Bama they got other guys yeah they do but they're not those two guys those two guys are elite and I think part of that is when they're both out it made their offense a little pedestrian against the great defense I mean if you look again if you just take that Alabama SEC championship game out Rick nobody else scored more than 18 points on that defense all season long that's crazy I am fully cognizant of that, and that defense is insane. There's no doubt about it. But we're also talking about two teams that are on another plateau compared to the other teams in college football. That's the Agreed. that's the thing you have to factor in when you're talking about this game is, yes, that is true, but Alabama is a different animal compared to all the other teams as well. Now, they were a little bit more pedestrian when you take Mechie and Jamison Williams away. And when Jamison Williams went down with that knee injury, it completely changed the complexion of the game. I agreed. I don't think it ends up the same if, if he's still in there. I think Alabama and, and has a much better chance of winning. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's at the very least, even if he's not making plays, he's opening things up for others. Yes. Yeah, no question about it. They're much more difficult to game plan for and take things away if you've got to worry about him making plays against you. But – 
even despite him going down, which I will admit made things much more difficult on Bill O'Brien. I was just a little shocked that you're getting Bryce Young killed. I mean, he, they're just pinning their ears back and coming after him. You're passing 55 times or whatever it was because you couldn't run the ball at all against that front, it, especially late in the game where they know what you're going to do and you know what you're going to do. Can you not at least like roll them out and get them out of pocket or something or give them a chance to, to see what's happening and make a play with his athleticism? Like it just seemed like you're dropping him back and running go routes with everybody else down the field and he's taking hit after hit or at least right. getting rushed. And I just well, thought O'Brien lacked creativity. They, they didn't do anything new or show them anything different from what they had already shown them in the SEC championship. And he ends up dropping back and throwing 61 times, 57 oh, attempts, four, four, four sacks, right? And how many other times was he hit when he wasn't sacked? You're not beating an elite defense dropping back 61 times. You're just not. No, but I mean, they, they couldn't run the ball. They could not run the ball at all. So I get why they were dropping back as much as they were. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do need to mix in a trick play or two at that point. Like, do do something different. You've got to have a wrinkle in there to use that aggressiveness and and take some of what they're doing away. No, I'm with you. I, it, something had to be different. Maybe, maybe more screen action, maybe something. But, um, you know, the fact that... that oh, he called enough useless him. screens. I'll, we'll say well, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking almost traditional screen stuff, not not bubbly stuff. I, you know, something to slow down the pass rush. Uh, but no, I again, I'm just going to go tip my cap to the Georgia defense. I just think they're that good. And I think they were that good for all every game but one. I can't explain it other than Bryce Young proved he was a Heisman Trophy winner that night. Bryce Young was not good in this game. I Again, I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of weapons and the lack of creativity from the play calling around him. He still showed some incredible accuracy on some of the throws, especially one yeah. where he was getting rushed. So I think you still saw his ability, but it was interesting to see the contrast from what he looked like in the SEC championship, where clearly the best quarterback in the country, Heisman Trophy winner, that's the game that that locked it up for him compared to seeing him in this one where it's like, eh, I don't know about him, you know, like what is his NFL future going to be and things like that. So I, it was not a great night for him. It really wasn't a good night for either quarterback. It It is incredible that Stetson Bennett was somehow good enough to win a national championship. It, he is truly the 2001 Baltimore Ravens, Trent Dilfer. Like, or the, or the, whatever year that was, AJ McCarron leading Alabama, Greg McElroy guy. <laughs> that might be a better comparison, but like at the time we thought AJ McCarron was a good college football quarterback, right? I mean, he was, and he was, and he was. Yeah. I guess Stetson Bennett is too. It just like, even watching yeah, him in that yeah, yes. game, it just felt like he wasn't good enough to be the quarterback. Right. It, it was, I feel bad saying that about a guy, especially not trying to knock him I, after I, he just I, won a national championship, I, right. but he just did not look like the, the moment looked a little too big for him with all the talent that was on the field around him. 17 to 26, two twenty four, two two touchdowns, no picks. I think I'll take that. Yeah. When that, I've got an elite defense, I think I'll, and, and you're running the ball the way they were running the ball. I think I'll take that. He also had the fumble where he dropped it and picked it up like he was dribbling a basketball that, I mean, <laughs> how that ball came right back up into his hands is unbelievable. That could have been an absolute disaster for no reason. He, he wasn't even hit on the play. And then what did you think of the play where they actually did call the fumble when the Alabama player thought it was an incomplete pass yeah. nonchalantly catches it as he's going out of bounds? Did you think that was a fumble where he sort of flung it forward after the ball was allegedly out of his hands? I did. I did. 
I, I think it was really close, but I do. I will. I mean, I get how you could push a ball forward that you don't actually have control of, but man, I mean, that is a, a really slippery slope and it seems like a hazy line right there for the refs when you're talking about that arm going forward rule and yeah, no, it'd be an incomplete uh, yeah. pass because I mean, he did somehow throw the ball forward about six yards. Right. I mean, yeah, no. it's not like it went backwards and he was in a throwing motion, but. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I I thought it was the right call. Just just in real time speed, I thought it was the right call. I know you know you, you can look at it and all that, but I, I thought real time speed it was it was the right call. It was tough. I'll admit, I watched it you know ten times on the replay that they're showing, and I'm at the end, I'm going, I have no idea what they're going to say right now. Like I, I really don't know what I would say if I was the ref in that situation. All right, now Rick, I've got my crystal ball out. Are you ready for the four teams I think will be in the college football playoff next year? You oh yeah, lay them on me. Okay. All right, um, Alabama. Um, Georgia, uh, Ohio State, and I think Clemson bounces back and gets there. How did you come up with those names? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I. I, I don't know, but that's who I came up with. Crazy me. Unbelievable. Well, we'll see if you're right. I don't know. That seems a little out Little's of left field. I don't. Think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could probably have pretty Ohio, good odds on that. Ohio State has to open with Notre Dame. Oh wait, I think they'll kick Notre Dame's ass, but ne- neither here nor there. Yeah. And what a fun sport, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. The same for every year. <laughs> I mean, that being said, I do love it. I do love watching that game. I do too. I, you know, I mean, it's just, I, it sucks that there's no other way to even out the the talent and the stop these teams from being such national powers. But at the same time, it is great to watch two national powers go at it. Yep. Yep. It sure is. All right. Let's get into our betting segment where skinny. It's all going to come down to this. We've got the the NFL playoffs to decide things. You made a comeback last week. Well, you went five and one in our betting segment. I was three and three. You made up the two games that you needed to. We are now tied 110, 96, and four on the season for both of us. That's crazy. Uh, Before we get to that, speaking of betting, I I will say that in real life, I did take the Raiders money line, Georgia minus two and a half, Georgia under for a three-team parlay that hit. And it, That's hit, nice. and it hit pretty good. What was ridiculous was I bet on the under in real life in the national championship game. And then I look at our picks for the podcast to get this together and realized that I had picked the over on this podcast. <laughs> so I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. At the time. Um, well, you're allowed to change your mind when it comes down to putting your real money down. Yeah, that, apparently fair. I did. I'm glad I changed it to winning instead of, you know, normally it's the other way around. You change your mind and you get it wrong. So it worked and out I did well. Not- I did not see this. Maybe you did, but a friend of mine told me about this. The the guy in Illinois, the car dealer, who uh, had a thirty thousand dollar five team parlay that hit for one point something mil. That that it was like a multi week parlay. He had Kansas City, or he had the Bengals over Kansas City on the money line. Um, he had a n- couple other money line plays, and then he came back to close into Georgia on the money line on Monday. That's crazy. That's one of the best things on social media right now with all the betting getting popularized and all the apps. So you can easily screenshot your tickets and everything like that. It is amazing how many little parlays you see like that, where someone maybe only put $20 down or $10 down to win. This guy put 30 grand down. Well, and you see a lot of that too. I mean, you see life-changing money at times too, but it is, it is awesome to see all these tickets where people cash these huge parlays and, Get just a little bit of that money back from the book because goodness knows the rest of us are losing it. 
especially when you're not sure if you're betting the over or the under. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Probably not the uh, most efficient way to do it if you're trying to make good money. But uh, we'll start Saturday at 4.30 p.m. We're just going to do the Bengals game and the two primetime games this week like we normally would. Otherwise, it would get out of hand. The segment would be forever. No one will see that. So you're not counting the Saturday primetime game as a primetime, just the Sunday no, and Monday. our normal Sunday okay. and Monday. Right. And then gotcha. next week we will do the rest of the games for the playoffs starting next week. All right. Saturday, 430. We've got Raiders at Bengals. Bengals are a five point favorite. The total is 49 and a half. Yeah, I, I like this game to go under because um, I do think the Bengals will have success running the ball. Um, I think there'll be some time consumed. There won't be a ton of possessions. Um I'm going to go Bengals 27-17. Vegas, the weather's going to, I think, affect them a little bit. The fact of of when they ended and and it's a short week and then you got to travel on top of that. I mean, if you want every factor to be checked intangibly in the Bengals' favor, maybe even tangibly, um, it has to go the Bengals' way, in my opinion. I I just don't see them losing to this team on this day. Uh, I'll go Bengals, and with the weather on top of it, I'll go Bengals 27-17, so the Bengals in the under for me. Bengals and the under. We're really close on the score. I've got Bengals 27, Raiders 21. I'm on the Bengals and under as well. I think a lot of people forget you go back to that first matchup and you're like, oh, the Bengals scored 32 points. That game still went under with the Bengals scoring 32 points. You're right. That's the total right. was 51 and it, and it hits at 45. So, yeah, that 49 and a half is a big number. And these two teams, as, as much as it feels like they have the big offenses and you look at what the Raiders did last week with the chargers. It, it kind of got into a shootout there, but that game also went into overtime and, and got a little out of hand in the fourth quarter when they were going back and forth. These two teams have actually gone under more often than they've gone over this year. It's eight to nine over under for both of them. So um, yeah, I, I, I like the under here. I think that's the play I like most. And I also think the Bengals find a way to get it done too. So I'm, 27-21, Bengals and under. You're 27-17, Bengals and under. And that brings us to the Sunday night game at 8-15. We've got Steelers at Chiefs. The Chiefs are a 12.5-point favorite, and the total is 46. Steelers' defense is playing great. Can't not can't knock them, but I just don't see Pittsburgh's offense doing anything. I, I don't. I, I think the defense keeps them in it for a bit. But for me, Kansas City is going to have some short fields. They're probably going to take advantage of some turnovers, and they still have that that offense that can generate. Um, that said, I'm going to take the total under here, too. I'm going to go Kansas City 30, Pittsburgh 10. So the Chiefs and the under in this one for me. 30 to 10, Chiefs and the under. Well, not a lot of separation happening for us this week, it looks like, because I'm on the same thing. I'm on the Chiefs and the under. Similar scores once again. I'm going Chiefs 28, Steelers 13. I just don't think that the the Steelers defense as good as they are is good enough to slow the Chiefs down enough to keep it within a score that they can match up to you know I mean this the Steelers offense has just proven that they don't have it I mean coming down the stretch four of the last six have gone under for the Steelers but the last five in a row have gone over for the Chiefs but I think the Chiefs will win out so both of us on the Chiefs and the under and that brings us to the Monday night game 815 you've got Cardinals at the Rams the Rams are favored by three in the hook. The total is 49 and a half. Playoff Matthew Stafford. Here we go. Let's see what you can do with it. <laughs> this is what they got you for, my man, was to, to try to get him over the hump. Um, Cardinals, are. I, I mentioned, they're just, they, they did not play great down the stretch on, on either side of the ball. But, you know, maybe, 
maybe all you need is just that freshness of the of the playoffs. I think they keep this game close. I guess I can't pick them to win outright, so I'm going to make this a close Rams win in a bit of a shootout. I'm going to go Rams 30 to 28, so the Cardinals plus the points and the over for me. All right, three in a row that we're going to be on the same pick. <laughs> I've, I've got Cardinals 28, Rams 27. I actually am calling the upset here, and if nothing else, I just feel like there's got to be some type of upset in the first round, right? Like looking through, I can't find many upsets, but I, I think Frisco, I think Frisco is the most logical. If you're, if you're having to pick, if you say you've got to pick one upset, that to me would be the one that, that feels logical. And uh, we're not I, picking that game, but, but yeah, I, I think you're right. They're probably there. Yeah. Logic would almost dictate. There's going to have to be one. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right, but you, you know, you go back to the first matchup here, where the Cardinals won 37 to 20 between these two teams. The second matchup, it was 30 to 23. The Rams pulled it out. So I, I definitely like the over in this game at 49 and a half. I think that's the number I'm more excited about. But if I'm playing any of these three games as an underdog, it's going to be the Cardinals in this situation. And it's worth noting, uh, I, I saw this tweet the other day from a guy named Jared Smith, who does a lot of betting stuff. He said, if you blindly bet $100 on every underdog money line in the NFL during the regular season, you would have finished up $2,055. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So uh, a big year for the underdog money lines in the NFL. And you look at these matchups and you're right. It's like, I see a lot of chalk on the board and something triggers a little alert in my brain. Like that's probably not the right way to think of it. If you look no, at how that, all the underdogs <laughs> played out this year. No, that, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I, you know, like I told you, I hit the three team parlay with a, you know, it wasn't a big money line underdog, but I did have Vegas on the money line on Sunday night, being in a home underdog, which was crazy to me. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into some ask any, anything. We just have a uh, couple of questions here. The first is a little bit of a trivia question for you, Skinny. As oh, wanted, no. Okay. wanted to make a, make a little bit of a point about what was going on the last time the Bengals won a playoff game. So can you name the leading scorer on each of UK, Cincinnati, and Xavier, talking about basketball, the last time the Bengals won a playoff game in 90-91? So 90-91. So I'm going to go – I'm going to do UC first. I'm going to go – Lavertus Robinson. Do you have the answers, by the way? I do. Okay. I'm going to go Lavertus Robinson. Uh -uh. Herb Jones. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, Xavier, they said? Yep. That's a good one there. Oh, my word. Stan Kimbrough. Uh -uh. Hmm. Man, that 91 team. Tyrone Hill. Incorrect. Man. Trying to think who else was on. Who am I missing? Byron was gone. Yeah, you're going to have to give me that one. Do you want a, uh, a hint? Sure. Yeah, I'll take a hint. Name starts with a J. Name starts with a J. Yeah. I'm totally, I'm totally blanking on it. Who was it? Jamie Gladden. Oh wow! I wouldn't have guessed. I, I, Jamie Gladden was great, but I wouldn't have guessed guessed that. That would that would have been way off. And what about UK? All right, so ninety ninety one for UK. That was. Let me think. So that was the. 
team that was still on probation. 91-92 was... Okay, so 91-92 was... I'll, I'll go on 91. I'll go Mashburn. It was not. Um, was That wasn't Derek Miller, was it? No. Okay, that was the year before then. So this was the year after. So 91. I'm going to give two more guesses. It's John Pelfrey. Yep. Got it. Was it really? Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. a good question, though. I like it. J- Jamal, I, 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 Jamal Mashburn was on that team, averaging 12.9 points. But I, I see. John for some Pelfrey I thought he was and Reggie Hansen were the leaders. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, the next year was the year they lost to, to Duke uh, when Mashburn really kind of blossomed. Yeah. So, it was, you know, his point being kind of, it was kind of interesting at the time. Oh, yeah. No, no, he's right. Teams were playing pretty well or on the rise at the time, too. So. Well, let me throw this out because I, I I wrote a piece uh, on local12.com that my Bengals guy wasn't pleased with about looking at the last seven playoff losses since the win. And my lead was the following, and I'm just paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me, but it was the last time the Bengals won a playoff game on January 6, 1991. Only three current Bengals on the 53-man roster were born. Can you name them? All right, say say the question again. Okay, when the Bengals last won a playoff game, January 6, 1991, yeah. Only three, only three current Bengals on the fifty-three man roster. That's the important part. Only three players on the current fifty-three man roster were even born. You, uh, you won't, you won't get one of them. I'll, I'll just. Clark, I mean, Clark Harris and Kevin right. Huber have. That's to be. it. Correct. You won't get the other one. The other one is 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 backup safety, uh, personal protector Michael Thomas, who they oh, picked okay. up in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Zach Taylor was all of seven. It was actually just short of turning seven years old. And one Joseph Lee Burrow was another six years from being born. How old is Quentin Spain? Is he not close? No, no, no. Riley Reef, Riley Reef is was born, uh, but Riley Reef's on the IR. Xavier Suafila was also born, but he is currently um, he is not officially returned. He's been he's able to practice as he's coming off IR. Okay, but no, Quentin Quentin Spain was not. Interesting. So, so there you go. So that sparked that that bit of trivia too. So again, that puts a lot of all these things in perspective, right? I even looked up to see when the World Wide Web became official. It actually became official in 1989. Well, I saw everybody saying that there had never been a text message sent about a Bengals playoff win because texting wasn't invented until like 93 or something. Oh my, I didn't. I, okay, that's a good one too. That was a meme going around Twitter. I'm, I'm not taking credit for that, but I can't. Credit whoever started it because I saw it like a billion different people well, send it out. I, I know you're about to enter into to nuptials. I'm I, I I'm not sure. I, I'm being personal. Are you owning a house or are you renting? Yeah, we 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 own. We, you own. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so mo- most mortgages as we know are either thirty years or if you get to a point in life where you can get it down to fifteen years, you you maybe redo it and get a fifteen. But think about this: if you took out a thirty year mortgage. You've paid that off before in the time it's taken since the Bengals last won a playoff game. So if you took out a thirty-year mortgage in 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 1992, let's just say you took it out on January second, 1992, and your payoff day was January second of 2022. Thirty years went by. You paid off your house, and the Bengals hadn't won a playoff game. Crazy, yes, crazy stuff. All right, and uh, this question we can end on. Doesn't look like we've gotten anything else coming in, I don't think, here. All good. Let me make sure I check the Twitters. Uh, yeah, it looks like this is it. So last week you told a story about a former employee that you worked with that you had a bad yes. experience with. Yes. Um, so following up on that, someone wants to know, can you ballpark the number of people whose ass you've threatened to kick <laughs> and how many have taken you up on that offer? Um, let me see. Ballpark it. I'll go at least 
if you want to count officials into the mix, <laughs> um, don't I'll go incriminate I'll, yourself. I'll I'll go with well, I've got a story in there. I'll tell you here real quickly. Um, I'll go probably easily around fifty, maybe a hundred. <laughs> easily, and, easily, and, and followed up on probably none. I, I've had I've had literally I think three fights in my life, three fist fights, and they were all three with with best friends. Right, that's what happens. What? How old were you when the fights occurred? Uh high school, okay. high schoolish. Even yeah, even those younger, don't even probably, really probably count. Even, probably even early teen years. Yeah, and th- th- I feel like that th- that's a reasonable time to get in a fight. If you're still in high school, that's, it's not crazy to be. Yeah, no, I, yeah, correct. And and it was yeah. all just best friends doing stupid stuff, getting under, underneath each other's skin at the wrong time, and all of a sudden you start swinging. Yeah, no, that's uh, that makes sense to me. Um, okay, go so ahead I, with the story for the yeah. round. So, so th- this official, and I'm not going to name names, and he actually he does he's done a handful of games for me, and and he just he over officiates a lot of times. So, as you know, I'm a big fan of taking charges, and we were playing a game in which we needed to do that because the team we were playing they had three dunks, including two tip dunks, um, and and they just were athletic as all get out, and we needed to stand in front and take a charge. So one of my kids, I literally took a timeout and said, it's not negotiable. If you're in a position to take one, you're out. And and if it comes down to it, I'm just going to take you out one by one. And we'll play with one kid if I have to. I'm, I'm tired of watching it. And so one of my kids tries to take one and he started to fall a little early because, you know, they don't like the contact. So he calls a block. I said, I said, block, what did he do? He goes, he flopped. I go, he didn't flop. He goes, he goes, he, he flopped. So then he goes, well, I'll tell you what then, coach, if you don't think so, Warning on number three for flopping. I said, you got, I said, I'm going to report you to the association. You're, you are ridiculous. So then word gets back to me at halftime because a handful of people at the table overheard this, that he told his officiating partner, that guy teaches his kids to flop. So I marched right up to him to start the second half. I said, I said, I don't teach my kids to flop. And don't you ever tell another official that ever again. You understand me? He goes, don't talk to me in that tone. I said, I'm going to talk to you any tone I want because what you're saying now is you are being judgmental of the way I teach the game. I don't. I teach kids to take a charge. Some of them don't do it very well, Chief. They don't. And I wish they did it the way I'd like them to do it. They don't. So, of course, then guess what happens in the second half? He calls three charges, two of which, honestly, I think my kid was moving early, not flopping, moving early. But I feel like I bullied him into the calls. I feel good about myself. I I don't think that guy knew what he was getting himself into when he tried to come between you and the charge. That's correct. Don't do that, man. Don't do it. Like he could have said things about your family and you probably yep. would have been like, all right. Wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Wouldn't have cared. Let's move on. It's no big deal. But when he tells you that you're not teaching the charge properly and you're teaching quote to flop, you've got beef. And I hate the flop. Believe it or not, I hate the flop. I do. I hate it. You're just a true charge taker. I'm just a, a true, charge, true charge enthusiast. Yeah, I am indeed. Don't tell me I'm teaching my kids to take the flop, you clown. <laughs> you jabroni. He was. Yeah, he was. He absolutely was. Wow. All right, there we go. We we appreciate the questions as always. I know we did this probably a day early, caught some people off guard, uh, but uh, we we have schedules that we have to keep. Rick, you're going to do uh, a college basketball game, supposedly. Is that correct? Allegedly. I mean, it's minute by minute. You know, you just wait on the text message that tells you it's canceled. I'm sure that'll happen when we're like halfway to Youngstown. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, it's this has been kooky, crazy. Xavier had the 17 day layoff and actually played pretty well against Butler. We'll see if they can roll that into a into a game against Nova. So we'll talk about some more college basketball next week. We'll hopefully be talking about a Bengals playoff. And we'll be back on uh, Sunday night, correct? You're back Sunday? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, I will okay. be back Sunday. So, uh, so we, we so we will do our Bengals kind of post game edition maybe at some point earlier than what we do on a Sunday. We're not going to do it after the game on Saturday. It's just I'm going to be at the stadium too late. Rick's going to be on the road, so we'll have uh, we'll have some Bengals post game comments coming up on on Sunday's edition of the Skinny Podcast and Bengals uh, post game edition. So join us for that. We'll be back with this podcast one week from today, maybe actually eight days from today. We'll see. Back in our normal slot for Rick Roaring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poetry edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. 